ask you to take your Bibles and open them to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. Today's summer mixtape as we're walking through Psalms over this uh, summer is Fearless is the name of it. So this, this August, at the end of this August actually, I celebrate um, an anniversary of being a pastor full-time for 21 years between two churches. And some of those days are more memorable than others. Some for good and some for not, right? One of my most memorable days actually occurred within the first two weeks of me being a pastor. I graduated from Southwestern Seminary and and moved to Ripley, Tennessee, where they entrusted me as a 25-year-old recent seminary graduate with a church that was celebrating 150 years that year. And so um, I'll always be thankful for their faith in God and trusting that that's what God had done. And it was uh, the start of my second week, really. It was a Tuesday of my second week ever of being a pastor. And I had an important task to get done that morning in a new city. I had to find where I was going to get my hair cut. And someone had told me to go to this place on the square. Now, when it was a place on the square... It was two guys that had owned the same barber shop under the square. It was a, one of those old school barber poles down underneath in the basement kind of places that that's where I needed to go. So I got in the car on this Tuesday morning and I started to drive towards there. I was listening to Christian radio on my radio and they had a breaking news report that was different and interesting and thought I need to follow up on that after I get my hair cut and walked into this place where I didn't know anybody, and it was as old school of a barbershop as you could imagine. First place in my life I ever got a straight razor shave. They didn't ask me if I wanted it. It just happened. Now think about that day, because it cost me, this is no lie, to get a haircut, wash, and a full shave, it cost me $9 that day. So I think I want to go back to those times, right? As I was sitting in the chair, finishing up that moment, they had a small television up on a shelf that probably was, it was an old tube television. You know what I'm talking about? Those old televisions. It wasn't no HD or any of that, no flat screen. And I think it was all of about 14 inches. And that was the TV on which I saw the second plane fly into the building. I've been pastor for eight days of this church. Got through with a haircut, went to the office, started talking to my associate pastor who had been at that church for over 20 years. And it's hard to think about this even now, but we, we had internet, but there was no video on there. There was no Twitter. There was no Facebook. Couldn't stream anything on there. We were having a hard time collecting news. We had radio on in there, and we decided, the two of us, that we would go to his house and watch the coverage on the Today Show to see what was going on. Went there, sat there, and watched, and I'll never forget sitting on his couch as the building fell. The first tower fell. And we both just looked at each other and said, we got to go back to the church. we got to open it up for prayer. we got to do something. So we got back to church. 
There was a call in to us while we had gone from WTRB, which was the local radio station in Ripley, an AM station, 1570 there. They carried our worship services live on Sunday morning, and so we already had a relationship. And they said, our listeners are asking us to do something. We wanted to know if y'all would come and pray. And so on the eighth day of my pastorate, I remember sitting down in front of a microphone, one of those big microphones, in a room with my associate pastor across from me and me sitting there. And I'd ask the Lord on the three-minute drive over there, what in the world am I going to say or do? The light turned green, and this is what I read. God is our refuge and strength. A helper who is always found in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not be afraid. Though the earth trembles and the mountains topple to the depths of the sea, though its water roars and foams and the mountains quakes with its turmoil, Selah. There is a river, its streams delight in the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. God is within her. She will not be toppled. God will help her when the morning dawns. Nations rage. Kingdoms topple. The earth melts when he lifts his voice. The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Selah. Come, see the works of the Lord. He brings devastation on the earth. He makes wars cease throughout the earth. He shatters bows and cuts spears into pieces. He sets wagons ablaze. Stop fighting and know that I am a God. And I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Selah. Psalm 46 has been a psalm that has been read and proclaimed in times of difficulty for generations. And researching even for this week, it was interesting because there are not a lot of people, a lot of times I'll scan and get commentaries and other pastors and what they've said, and I didn't find a whole lot of information it, it, most of the time on Psalm 46. But you know what was interesting is that I searched and found about five people that had preached on the topic, and almost all of them had preached in May and June of 2020 on Psalm 46. In the midst of turmoil, in the midst of difficulty, and it feels like the world around us is falling apart, Psalm 46 is that oasis in the desert that we can run to. The theme of this particular psalm is simply that God holds our life together when the world or your world seems to be coming apart. And maybe that's not you right now. Although it's hard to watch the news and all that is around us and not feel like that we're in the midst of this place where there is just stuff happening all around us that is unsettling and difficult. Maybe it's your world personally. Maybe your world personally is falling apart, that there's something that's happened in your career, in your job. There's something that's happened within your family. There's something that's happened in a relationship. There's something that's happened with your health 
with your physical being, and it feels like your world is coming apart. Psalm 46 speaks to that moment. By the way, we don't really know when Psalm 46 was written. It gives us just this idea at the beginning. It was for the choir director. That's just a general thing. It says it's a song of the sons of Korah. We'll talk about that in just a second. And then it gives us just a, according to the Alamuth, which we think is some kind of, of meter or, or way to sing it or understanding to sing it or even an instrument kind of to, to, to be used with it. So we don't really know the background. The only clue we have of who wrote this is that it's the sons of Korah. That's not a story you probably remember very well. It's a group of people in the Old Testament that challenged Moses and Aaron's leadership and basically said, you're not leading us correctly. And Moses said, okay, that's fine. We'll just do this. We'll put God to the test. If you die normally, we'll know you were right. If you die uh, in a supernatural way, we know God was right uh, through me as the prophet and Shortly thereafter, the earth literally opened up and swallowed the three rebels and their whole families, one of which was named Korah. But he had a few sons who were either too young to be a part of that or old and wise enough to separate themselves from their dad's rebellion who outlived that, were saved from the danger, and they became followers of the Lord. And apparently their descendants became psalm writers. As far as the immediate background of this, most scholars think if there is one, it comes from a deliverance from the Assyrian armies of Sennacherib in around 701 B.C. You find that in 2 Kings 18 and 19. And the idea is that the Assyrians, if you remember that there was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, Israel and Judah, Israel had been besieged and destroyed by the Assyrians. And then what happened is Assyria at some point kind of regathered and said, now we're going after the southern kingdom, Judah, we're going to take the whole thing. And they surrounded the city cut off all the supplies to the city, and as they cut off all the supplies of the city, they would send messengers to say to them, surrender now, surrender now. In fact, they went to the people on the wall and said, don't listen to your king. Your king is going to tell you God's going to deliver you, that your Lord God is going to deliver. Don't listen to him. He said, or you'll end up eating your own excrement because we have cut everything else off. And in the midst of that place where Hezekiah would depend on the Lord and the Lord in the night would destroy an entire army on his own. Psalm 46 gives us the perspective of those that feel like we have been surrounded and entrapped and that our life is being taken from us. The outline of the entire passage is given in the first verse. God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. I put that very present help. This is one of those verses, by the way, we're in the Christian Standard Bible. It's the version that we use um, almost every week when I preach. It's the version that I preach out of and read out of. But this is one of those that it's hard to get over those that you learned in your youth. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble, right? It's just like when you get to verse 10, you're like, I thought that was be still and know that I am God. It is. It's just, we'll talk about why it's translated differently here. 
But in this passage, it gives us the outline of what's going to come in the next thing. And that when our world is falling apart, when things don't seem to be going in the way that we think, we can trust that God is our protection. That's what refuge means. He is the one that will provide us protection. That He is our provision. That's what strength is. He will give us the strength that we need. He will give us what we need to survive. And He is a helper who is always found. That is very present, very helpful We can trust in God's presence. The first one of those is we trust in God's protection. Look at what it says there in verse 2. It says, we will not be afraid. Though the earth trembles and the mountains topple into the depths of the seas, though its waters roars and foams and the mountains quake with its turmoil, Selah, we will not be afraid even if. And what happens here is the psalmist gives us three things, three scenarios really, that would have absolutely made the people of that era terrified. And so I want you to imagine, if you will, that these are people that are surrounded by a foreign army. They are people that have had their livelihoods cut off, that have been um, placed in a place of desperate need. And they said, literally, even if in this situation, it seems like it can't get any worse. And then it does because the earth begins to give way underneath us. It trembles, it quakes. The picture here is literally that of not just any kind of earthquake. I've fortunately never been a major earthquake. I grew up in an area of the world that had seen a major earthquake and we were always on guard against a major earthquake. But I've never been a part of one, thankfully. But they talk about the earth just opening. Opening up underneath you. The instability that is there. They said even if the earth beneath us begins to fall apart and begins to disintegrate. And in that day and time, if you were in Jerusalem, if you were around Israel, if you were down around Judah, and the attacking force came, one of the things they would say is you need to run to the hills, the mountains, get on the high ground. And they said, even if the ground around us begins to shake, and as it begins to shake, we decide we're going to run to the hills, and we get to the hills, and instead of seeing the hills strong and sturdy where they are, what do we see? We see the hills collapsing into the depths of the sea. We literally see mountains falling. The place we thought was going to be our security is the place that is falling in our front of our eyes. And even if the earth is giving way and we can't get to the mountains because they are falling and the last place they would ever go, the Jewish people were terrified of the sea. They considered it a place of chaos. But they said, even if we think we can get away through the sea, uh, that's one of the reasons, by the way, that the Red Sea parting was such a significant thing for them. This chaotic thing that could not be tamed was tamed by God and they walked through on dry ground. They said even if the earth is trembling and we go to the mountains and they are falling apart and we think we'll take refuge in the sea but we go to the sea and it is foaming and quaking and it is inaccessible. Even if every piece of security that we have in our life has fallen, we will not be afraid. What's your even if in your life? What can you confidently say, even if, Lord, my health fails? Even if my friends depart? 
Even if my job ends. Even if this relationship doesn't turn out as I thought. Even if my family abandons. I will not fear. What is it that if you were to take away everything underneath, would you still be willing to trust in the protection of God? This psalm, by the way, was the favorite psalm of one of the most important men in the history of the church, Martin Luther. He loved the Psalms in general. He was generally a New Testament guy, but he loved the Psalms in general. But his favorite Psalm, he said, was Psalm 46. And because of it, he wrote a song that goes, Ein Feisterberg ist Gott." Gott." Y'all know that one, right? Anybody know what that translates to? A mighty fortress is our God. Now here's the cool thing about that. When he wrote that song, apparently, history legend has it, that he was staying at a place not real far from where he went to school in Germany at a near a town called Coburg. And in Coburg, up on the mountain, is a castle. And it was considered one of the most impenetrable places in the area. And it was known as the Coburg Fortress. History says that Luther, as part of writing the hymn, was gazing upon this. Now you can't tell this much, but this is up in mountains. Some of these walls are upwards of a hundred feet tall. And if you got over the hundred foot wall, there was a citadel with armed guards waiting on you. And so when Luther wrote Psalm 46 into a hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, he was contemplating the reality that no matter what comes at me, my God is even better than Coburg Fortress and protecting me. God is a refuge in difficult times that is safe and strong and solid and secure. When life is crumbling around us, we need to learn to trust in God's protection. The second thing this psalm teaches us that when life is crumbling around us, we need to not only trust in God's protection, but we also need to trust in God's provision. The tone switches in verse 4, and it goes from this, even though all of this is going, the noise of what is happening, verse 4 says, There is a river, its stream delights the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. God is within her, she will not be toppled. God will help her when the morning dawns. There is a river. I don't know if you know this or realize this or have thought about this, but most of the great cities of the world are built Near rivers. Cairo is near the Nile. London is near the Thames. Paris is near the Seine. Washington, D.C. is near the Potomac. In our own state, what are the four largest cities? Nashville, Memphis, Knoxville, Chattanooga. What do they have in common compared to other cities, right? They're all built on rivers. Mississippi, Tennessee, Cumberland. Why? 
Why were great cities that are being built up, especially ones that were built before the last 50 to 100 years, they, now they build cities in other places because they can get water there. They're built because of the natural resource of water. In those days and times, any time in an ancient city that they wanted to destroy or defeat a people or a city, especially a nation, they would often try to cut off everything around. They would siege a city, cut off all the supplies to the capital city, and most priority was given to cutting off the water supply. If you were king of that city, you made sure that there was a water supply always there. Now, here's the interesting thing for the people of Jerusalem that were being besieged by the Assyrians during this time. There is, there are cities that weren't built on rivers in ancient history, and one of them is Jerusalem. It doesn't have a river running through it. They would often bemoan that. If we just had a river, it would make some of these easier. They had to depend on wells. And one of the first jobs that Hezekiah did was to secure the wells and make sure they could get these deep springs back into the city to, of course, to give people. And the point that God is making here is that in times of trouble, in times of difficulty, when things are not going your way, when the world seems to be trying to cut off access to everything you have, trust in me and I will be the river that brings life and all that you need in the midst of it. There is a river in the city of God. The point of that, the streams delight the people, is that God will provide for us our needs, the things that are deepest in us that we absolutely need, not the things we want, not the things we need, think we need, but the things that we actually need. In times of difficulty, we trust In the protection of God. We trust in the provision of God. And then finally we trust in the presence of God. In that first verse it says he was a very present help. A helper who was always found in times of trouble. And in verse 6 it kind of continues this idea that everything out there might be going against you. Nations rage. Kingdoms topple. The earth melts when he lifts his voice. It's saying this God who is able to sustain us is also able to defeat the enemy. And verse 7 gives us this beautiful truth. The Lord of armies is with us. Come see the works of the Lord. He brings devastation. He makes war cease. He shatters bows. We'll get to verse 10 in a minute. And then verse 11, he says again, the Lord of armies is with us. The original language that literally says the Lord of hosts That can be interpreted the Lord of angel armies, the Lord of all creation that has built to support and to fight for him. The God who has at his disposal every resource imaginable. That Lord of hosts is with us. No matter what we go through, no matter where we find ourselves, no matter what difficulty comes into our life, when the earth seems to be slipping away and the mountains are falling into the sea and the oceans are roaring, God is with us. And in verse 10, when he speaks, the only time in this Psalm, when God himself speaks, that's why it's got quotations in my Bible. Verse 10, he says, be still. But that's not the best translation of that word. In fact, we don't have a great translation. The CSB says, stop fighting and know that I'm God. Uh, Quit striving is another one. Or cease 
striving. The word is similar to actually a phrase that would be translated into Greek that is found in Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, if you remember the story, Jesus is asleep in the boat. And a storm rages outside. You remember the disciples come and wake Y'all remember that? You with me still? They come and wake him up and are like, Jesus, don't you even care that we're going to die up here? And what does Jesus do? He goes to the top of the boat and what does he say? Yeah. If you read like ours, it's like, um, be quiet. We read it like that. The word he uses is actually a word that we don't have any way to translate. It's almost like, just stop it! I'm not saying Jesus was annoyed at that moment, but I'm saying sometimes as a parent, as any of you, I mean, okay, let me, let me phrase this. Have any parents you known, maybe not you, maybe someone you know, ever gotten like really kind of annoyed at kids or questions coming your way multiple times, multiple ways, multiple times, and you just need a moment to say, could you please stop for just a second? That's how we all do it as parents. That's how it happens at our house. I don't know about yours. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Like, just to quit it. I mean, I'm just, just hypothetically speaking here. You're a dad driving on vacation. You've got kids in the back. And you hear it begin as just little snipping at each other. Just a little bit that vaults into something more than that. And before you know it, you think World War III is about to happen in your back seat. And you're just like, I'm just trying to concentrate. Could you just quit? That's the emotion and the idea behind what Jesus did. And that's the emotion and the idea behind Psalm 4610. Quit it! The the actual Hebrew translates to something like, put your hands down. It correlates to this idea that sometimes we talk about people with raised hands, not like in worship, but raised hands, like they're just like just trying to really, really going at it. All right, we were. I was. Uh, I always stopped at McDonald's on the way in for breakfast. Ava, I had Maddie with me this morning too. We grabbed breakfast on the way in on Sunday mornings. And this morning, while we were stopped at it, um, the guy, you know, it's got two lanes there. We're on the inner lane. On the outer lane, I don't know what was happening, but apparently the guy there had had enough with the speaker guy. Okay. Now, we've all been there, right? Doesn't quite translate well. This guy did not handle it well, right? And he is, fla- it's like he, if he could flail his arms in the car, he was. And I felt like God, I was thinking about this and dwelling on this. I just looked at him and goes, that's the picture. That's how a lot of us live our lives. We get frustrated with life, upset with our life, and we try to fix it. We try to go out and we're doing stuff. And we're like, I'm going to take care of this and that. And I can't believe that's happening. And why would they ever do that to me? What am I going to do about this? And how can my schedule ever get? And God's just like, quit. Stop it. And realize I've got it. Quit trying to figure it out on your own. Quit trying to make somebody else be somebody that they're not. Quit trying to figure out everything you've got. Quit acting like life in the world and the universe depends on you. It doesn't. I've got it. Drop your hands is what it literally says. And know that I am God. I am with you. And don't forget, this is what I love. He gives us the ultimate plan there in that verse. Quit striving. Trust me. 
realize I'm with you. And don't you realize that I will be exalted among the nations? I will be exalted on the earth? That it's going to work out in the end because I'm in control. By the way, that works whether you're somebody that's been really faithful to the Lord or if you're like, there's no way God could do that with me. I've messed up too many times. It's interesting in this passage, and this happens over 200 times in the Bible, that God is referred to as the God of Jacob. Y'all remember Jacob, right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know who the most troublesome of the three Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was? It was... What's Jacob's name mean? Deceiver. One who grabs the heel. One that deceives. He's the one that tricked his dad. One that tricked his brother. The one that got tricked. The one that that had this intimate moment wrestling with... I mean, there's all this stuff where Jacob is not who you would put it. By the way, if you want to know how God hits straight looks with crooked sticks, go back and read the Genesis accounts of the patriarch families. Those people had problems. I mean... Problems with a capital P, right? God still used them. And so here's the thing. If God can use Jacob and call himself the God of Jacob, he can use you and he'll make it okay. What I love about this passage is that it uses the phrase God with us. In the New Testament, we see that that's not just a phrase about the God who is with us. God became one of us, with us. And in Jesus, he faced all the troubles and pain and suffering and fears that we face in his life, and he never sinned. That he took on our sin on the cross, that he defeated death by the resurrection, that he has been victorious over Satan, sin, death, that he has promised us eternal life because of his resurrection, and he assures us of his presence until the very end. And because of that, we don't have to be afraid. We can live fearless. I read this week about Jonathan Edwards' first recorded sermon. Jonathan Edwards, one of the great pastors of the Great Awakening that happened in the New England area and then throughout the United States. His most famous sermon is Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. But this was his first known sermon. He preached when he was 18 years old, and it was on Christian happiness. He had three points to his sermon, and these were his three points. And I think they sum up Psalm 46. He said, first of all, if you're a Christian, just know that all the bad things that happen in your life will eventually turn out for good. Secondly, the good things in your life cannot be taken away from you. And the third thing is, the best is yet to come. When we think about the bad things that happen in our lives, the scripture teaches us that God's able to weave those into a tapestry that we may not be able to see. We may be on the backside of that tapestry not seeing what God is doing, but he is working it all together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose and that love him. 
And when it says good things there, I'm not talking about good earthly things. He's talking there about the best things that we have. Our salvation from the Lord. The reality that we have been adopted into His family. That He calls us His children. That we have a place seated with Him in the heavenlies. That we have an eternal future ahead of us. Those cannot be taken from us. And that the best for us is yet to come. No matter how good it is today, the best is yet to come. And praise God when it is the worst it can be. The best is yet to come for those that believe in Him. Because God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. And the Lord of armies is with us. So we need to knock it off and know that He is God. And that He will be exalted among the nations and He will be exalted among the earth. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for beautiful poetry like Psalm 46 that reminds us of how good you are, of how great you are, of how that you are our refuge, our protection. And Lord, there may be people today that are in the midst of all that is happening in their life, Lord, they just need a refuge, they need a place to run, and that you are that for them. Lord, we know that today is a day that you offer that just like you did to the people in Jerusalem during the time that they were being besieged. It may look different to us today, but Lord, you are our protection. Lord, we're thankful that you provide for us what we need in these days. And Lord, we're thankful that you have promised us your presence. Lord, I can't imagine living this life without you. And Lord, I may not always feel it. I may not always recognize it. It may not always be something that's at the top of my mind. But Lord, it's promised and it's guaranteed and it's real. So Lord, I pray that you would help us just to recognize that presence in our lives. Lord, if there's someone here today that's never accepted you as their Savior, Lord, I pray that today you would let them know they need to do that. You would convict them of their sin, Lord. That they would feel uneasy, uncomfortable because they know that they're not right with you. That they've got to be saved. Lord, I pray that you would just give us an understanding of what our response to this ought to be. We pray this in Jesus' name.